0: Here is a story of a band that was at one point considered better than the Beatles. A band that was one of the top five influences of the biggest band of a generation. A band that created only one record and yet the original print versions of that album are sold for upwards of $10,000 each. This is the strange and yet magnificent story of Helen... Give me a drum roll. The Shags. Right and all is dead. I'm sorry, I just can't. Get- You've got a lot of things to say. Why don't you just sing? I don't mean to be conscious. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. The Sound Age. This isn't an alternate universe, this is Earth, but if you haven't heard of The Shags, exactly what rock have you been living under? In all seriousness though, the three facts I stated in the intro are 100% true, and I'll get to them. But the vast majority of people who've ever heard of The Shags, know them as the band who made the worst album in the history of music. I'll be telling their story, but I also want to touch on why the worst ever album could even be a thing. How can something that is universally considered terrible ever be considered good? So let's start at the very beginning. The Shags are three sisters, Dot, Betty and Helen Wigan. Their musical journey started young, but it wasn't some ingrained love for music or art that set them on their journey. No, it was actually a long-standing premonition many decades earlier. Their father's name was Austin Wigan, and when he was just a boy, his mother, who was a palm reader, told him of his future. You shall marry a woman of strawberry blonde hair, she said. You shall have several daughters after my death. And these daughters will form a successful musical group. Quite specific for a palm reader, but nonetheless, Austin went on and he met a girl named Annie, in which he would later marry. A girl with strawberry blonde hair. And then they went on to have many children, including several daughters, after Austin's mother had passed. And this was proof enough for Austin Wigan. His daughters were destined to become a successful music group. The Wiggins weren't rich, they lived in a small town that had no real unique characteristics. You know, People worked, they had families, and then they grew old in Fremont. So when Austin invested the entire family life savings in the girl's future career, sold his possessions just to buy them instruments, this was a big deal. He pulled his daughters out of school. They were going to be a successful music group, they couldn't be riding the bus. Instead, he set them up on a tight regime. Mornings, it was homeschooling. Afternoons, it was working on the music career. And Austin was going to be the manager. He wasn't one of those parents with stars in their eyes. He himself didn't even have much interest in music or youth culture. For him, this was destiny. And he was a strict father figure. This was the way it was gonna be. The girls had no choice but to try their best for the family premonition. In 1969, he scored the band their debut show at the Fremont New Hampshire Town Hall. The show was met with unanimous reviews. Unanimously awful reviews. Absolutely terrible. Worst noise ever made. People threw things at the girls on stage and they were booed throughout the concert. But Austin was determined. There weren't many bands in the small town of Fremont, so they continued to be booked at the town hall and whatever other shows their father could wrangle for them. And it was the same every single night. A concert of booze. The only reason people didn't leave was, well, because there was nowhere else in town to go. So naturally, after the run of disappointing performances, Austin decided it was time for the Shags to get into the studio and capture the magic that they've been... performing? Now at this point, I have to make mention. The reason why the shows were a total disaster was not because of lack of practice or anything like that. The girls practiced every single day. It was because the girls were not musicians. They didn't even know how to make music. At all. Their father assigned them their instruments. They were total beginners when they were wheeled out on stage and now into a studio. So anyway, Austin booked Fleetwood Studio in Massachusetts in 1969, just months after their debut shows. The engineer pleaded with him, don't waste your money, these girls are not ready. But his response was he wanted to capture the girls on record while the act was still hot. The girls went in and, you know, they tried their best. And with some quality producing work on the engineer's part, it sounded like this. If you've never had the pleasure of hearing the Shags before, welcome to the worst album in the history of music. Devoid of chord structures, played on entry-level, out-of-tune guitars, free of any obvious timing signatures, lyrical gems such as... Where will Foot Foot go? What will Foot Foot do? Oh Foot Foot, I wish I could find you. I've looked here, I've looked there, I've looked everywhere. Oh Foot Foot, why can't I find you? The girl's father died in 1975 and the band stopped performing immediately afterwards. They were simply small town girls, they had no ambition to be rock stars. They wanted to get jobs, get married and have kids. The premonition was over. Or was it? Because out of 1,000 copies printed, 900 had mysteriously vanished. Only 100 remained. Somewhere down the line, a radio station in Chicago landed a copy and started playing the tracks. People took notice and the remaining copies sort of became collector's items. You have to remember, this was long before streaming, long before even MTV. So people really only discovered music from live gigs and radio. If the radio played a song, regardless of its sound, it found an audience. All of a sudden, people wanted to find out more about this weird-sounding band on their radios. Frank Zappa was a fan. He played the Shags tunes on a TV show that he was guest appearing on, giving them a nationwide exposure. Legendary rock journalist Lester Bangs was a fan. He described the album as better than the Beatles. Lester Bangs wrote for Cream magazine and Rolling Stone magazine. These days, he's remembered as a legendary rock music critic. People took whatever Lester Bangs said as gospel. This was a launching pad for the retired trio. In 1979, the band NRBQ found a copy of the album, showed it to their record label and convinced them to reissue the album using a mixture of original recordings and a few added songs from a later recording the Shags had done. For the first time ever, the Shags began to make some money off their music. With the label's push, it started to become an even bigger deal. Rolling Stone magazine awarded the Shags the Comeback of the Year award. And while the mass printing of the record gave mass exposure to the band, it meant the original copies would become even more of a rare find. Their value continued to increase, to the point now where they're literally worth more than their weight in gold. The band had made their grandmother's premonition come true. And as a true seal of approval, in the 90s, Kurt Cobain named the Shags as one of Nirvana's biggest influences. In 1999, RCA Victor reissued the original album, which again gained some mainstream press. In 2001, a tribute band by the name Better Than The Beatles re-recorded some of the now classic Shags tunes. There are live videos on YouTube of the tribute band. And finally, in 2017, Dot and Betty Wigan returned to the stage. Not the local town hall, but its solid sound festival. Helen had unfortunately died several years earlier, and the remaining sisters They'd really lost their ability to perform the songs in the way they once did. So they hired session musicians to play the songs exactly how they were written. The songs were actually written down as sheet music, written in totally unique time patterns and totally unique guitar tunings. It's bizarre, it's haunting and yet sort of mesmerising. I did not hit her, it's not true. It's bullshit, I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. I used to know a girl, she had a dozen guys. One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad she ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street. (laughs) What a story, Mark. You are tearing me apart, Lisa! You can love someone deep inside your heart and there is nothing wrong with it. If a lot of people love each other, the world would be a better place to live. That's some audio from the so bad it's good cult classic movie, The Room. If you haven't seen The Room, go watch it. And then watch the movie about the movie called The Disaster Artist. Then watch YouTube videos of midnight screenings around the world. It's an entirely unique situation where the cinema becomes an interactive experience. You know, people quote the movie word for word, they throw plastic spoons at the screen, they cheer when the main character shoots himself in the head, it's otherworldly. How many movies still get played in cinemas decades after their release? You know, by that metric, The Room is the most successful movie of all time. I mean, it's also a financial success, it had a big Hollywood remake, the brains behind the film Tommy Wiseau is now a celebrity. It's so bad, the acting, the storylines, it shouldn't work, and yet it is loved by people all around the world. How does the so bad, it's good genre really happen? Look, a large portion of it would be because it's become a meme. It's hard to turn away from something so catastrophic. You know, the same way you can't take your eyes off a car crash. The discussion around the movie, or the band for this matter, is how bad are they? But there is more to this than just the inside joke. There's more to it than just an entertaining origin story as well. There is a real argument to be made that music lost its soul with the invention of digital recordings. Not because of digital over analog, sample rates, or vinyls have warmth over anything else. None of that nonsense. But because it became easy to hide the flaws in music. Led Zeppelin's music was loose. Jimmy Page was a loose guitarist. John Bonham played all around the beat, and yet people love them. Now, when you take their original recordings and digitally quantize the drums so that they're perfectly in time, they don't sound better. In fact, they make the song sound terrible. Music commentator Rick Beato actually demonstrates this on his YouTube channel. Here's John Bonham playing naturally... And here's the same recording, quantized. Look, it is subtle for people who are not musicians. You might not notice that much difference. But it's the feeling that's removed from the quantized drums. We are human. We're not robots. We're not meant to be perfect. And that brings us to Nickelback. A band who are hated by millions of people around the world. Rock fans hate Nickelback, despite them being one of the biggest rock bands of the last 20 years. I'm one of those people who can't listen to a Nickelback album through to the end. It's not a bandwagon thing. I don't think it's cool to hate a band, especially a rock band. I hate that I don't like them. They are brilliant musicians. The riffs are cool. Chad Kroger's voice is monstrous. They're incredible live. So what's the problem? The truth is, their recordings are so perfect, they give me nothing to love. It's devoid of soul. Think of a song being a naturally attractive person. Then cover that person up with makeup, with skin toner, cover every beauty spot they have, take a digital photo using the absolute best equipment and lighting, and then use Photoshop to remove every imperfection there is. Does that person look more attractive? Some people might say so, I guess. I don't think so. Do they lose the ability to show any personality, there's absolutely no doubting that. And that's why the shags music works. There's a true beauty in imperfection. Words tell stories, okay, but music as a whole gives emotion. When you remove the imperfection, you remove the emotion. The shags might technically suck, you wouldn't dance along to them if a DJ played them in a club. When you play that record back, those emotions can be felt. The Shag's record, no matter how imperfect it was, gave joy to people, influenced other musicians. That's the philosophy of the world. Here's to the Shag's. You can never please anybody in this world.